cliffcentral.com. You're listening to The Bounce Show with Byron Karpinski. I'm Hugh Bladen, and it's on clivecentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Blades, and it's Ben Karpinski. Why didn't you tell me? Ben Karpinski on cliffcentral.com. Welcome to it, 20th of April. The Bounce Show right here on Thursday on cliffcentral.com. Going to put a lot of effort into the rugby this week. We've had a couple of good weeks of golf, but rugby back and firing. We've, of course, got Super Rugby, the British and Irish Lions. Uh, they've announced their squad. All happening. There's also cricket news. There's football news. It's a really great, actually, week of sport because we've had a bit of a lull in that we had to enjoy the nice long Easter weekend. Hope you had a good time. I played lots of golf, which is always a good thing this time of year here in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I'm going to play some more golf this weekend. Fitness, uh, of course, pending. I kind of pulled my back a bit. Um, I know it's getting old, really. It's not for kids. Uh, it's terrible. So playing Sun City this weekend, I'm going to play the Mr. Gary Player Country Club, which in many ways is like a pilgrimage for anybody who, you know, cares about golf. So I'm playing Gary Player Country Club on Saturday and I'm playing The Lost City on Sunday. This is going to be amazing. Follow me on Instagram at uh, The Bounce and I'll give you all kinds of pictures. That, that place is really great. You know, if you haven't been there yet, whether you're from South Africa or you're visiting South Africa, it's one of those places you have to go to. It's sunny in winter. It's hot and wonderful in summer. It's just the absolute business. Opening track this week is Beck with Dreams, but we've got lots and lots of sports. Let's get right to it. With uh, the special guest this week, who'll join us in about 20 minutes, is uh, SA broadcaster Derek Albertson, also a major heartthrob in the PE area of this country. He'll be talking all things rugby with me, and I've got lots to catch up on because, well, last week the Storm has finally lost. Uh, the Lions showing that they're still very much like the alpha dogs of SA rugby. Uh, it's not a title I think they're going to lose anytime soon because, you know, it's not like they were a one-hit wonder last season, let's be honest. They've been pretty bloody amazing. And uh, they haven't really lost any players. They've, you know, got an easier sort of fixture list this year. So I'm going to chat to Derek all about them. I'm going to chat to Derek what he thinks about the Stormers. Now they have to go on tour. They've had the sort of... um you can say the safety of Newlands and uh, home grounds to kind of play it so far. It's a young team. It's an exciting team. But is it a team that's really going to do great things in New Zealand? Well, first up, they've got the Crusaders, which is going to be tough as nails. So we'll chat about that. We'll chat about what his thoughts are about regulation from Super... Sorry, re- relegation, or it's just termination from Super Rugby, which will happen for two South African sides. I know we all think it's a foregone conclusion. Basically, it's going to be the Kings and the Cheetahs. As I said, Derek is from PE, so he might have some rather partisan views in that. Uh, but yeah, he's a very connected guy in sport, and he's a great guy to chat to. But let's get straight into some cricket, shall we? Uh, we all know the Champions Trophy is happening this year, right? So if you don't know what the Champions Trophy is, it's basically the World Cup with all the best teams. So top eight teams, um, the guys who generally are going to win the World Cup. And uh, it's a strength versus strength tournament. And the Proteas definitely are one of those strengths. Now, I know I say this all the time. And uh I wouldn't say I'm a slow learner. It's just that I'm so I, I get so excited about looking at the Proteus team, and I just I see the potential, and I always look at it and go, "This is the year. This is it's going to happen. It has to happen." And every single tournament that we go into, I'm again left crying and in the fetal position. Um, I kind of think maybe that's just my my price to pay as a, as a patriotic um, South African cricket fan. But enough is enough, and I really think this time round. 
again, I mean, it just feels like deja vu me saying this, but this squad that the Proteas have is dynamite. I reckon they can win this thing. Um, English conditions, you know, it's difficult to say because the moment there's any rain anywhere in the atmosphere, the Proteas will lose. You can go back historically. If there's rain, we will lose. 1992 World Cup. It rained. Suddenly, they needed 22 runs off one ball. We lost. Uh, I think it was 2003 when the World Cup was here in South Africa. It rained at Centurion. None of our guys could then do maths. We lost. Uh, last uh, World Cup in New Zealand and Australia, Proteus were batting like they, they were just going great guns. It rained. There was Duckworth Lewis involved. I reckon we got shafted by about 30 or 40 runs because Fuff and AB were killing it. And we lost. So I don't mean to get into historic trends here because I'm actually trying to be really positive. So let's just go through the team and uh, if there are any sort of other thoughts um, to kind of add to that. SA's Champions Trophy squad is Hashim Amla, Quinton Lecoq, Faf Dupassi, AB de Villiers, uh, JP Dumini, David Miller, uh, Chris Morris, Wayne Parnell, Andila Petlokwayo, uh, Kakisa Rabada, Imran Tahir, Dwayne Pretorius, Keshav Maharaj, Fehan Behardin, and Mornin Morkel. So straight away, I suppose the one name that does pop up there is uh, JP Dumini. Why he's still there? Surely there's other talent that needs to come through. Well, many factors, yeah, many factors. But let's not get into them. JP Dumini is a bit of limited overs player. He's a test player. Uh, that is me stretching. <laughs> that is me looking for that positive. Uh, so keep it at that. I reckon everyone else in this team really has, you know, they've definitely earned their way in here. I know Kyle Abbott and Riley Rousseau taking cold packs, um, kind of, well, I wouldn't say messed up the, the team dynamic, but definitely changed it because those two were definitely in the reckoning for this team. Kyle Abbott in particular, uh, you would think in those conditions that the Proteas will find themselves in with the seeming pictures. Uh, he was definitely going to be a shoe in here, but you know, that's it. It's all in the past. We can only move on now. So, um, Maharaj is going to be the second spinner behind Tahir. And you think, um, well, you know, it could have been a couple of other players. Um, a few, a few of them will come to mind. Most importantly, I, sp- I suppose, would be, uh, Shamsi. Now, Shamsi is the sort of unconventional left arm wrist spinner who could definitely do something in a tournament like this. But, the selectors kind of went with the fact that Maharaj could offer more with a bat, which is, you know, you don't pick a spinner to bat, but at the same time, I suppose, team dynamic and balance, you've got to be realistic with this. And another thing about Shamsi is if he bats and get hold of him, it's not like he can then, you know, come back to a nagging line and sort of stem the runs. So, you know, it can be great, and he has shown that already in uh, that series against Australia. In PE in particular, I think the guy was devastating. But um, I think, you know, Maharaj has definitely shown, you know, Test Cricket is a very different game, but he's shown a great composure at this level so quickly. Um, so, yeah, it's a good call. Bowdin, he's always going to be there. Um, same with Parnell. Parnell's current in England. He's doing quite well. So I just think that you can't really fault this team. And that's that's saying something. Eh? For a South African squad or a team that can be nitpicked, uh, I think it's pretty good. So I'm very excited about that, and I hope you are too. And uh, if you're not well, close to the time, maybe a couple of wins, uh, everything will sort of balance out. But I think this is our best team we can go with right now. A couple of players could consider themselves unlucky, but this is a strong, strong team. Um, onto football. Well, well, look, the, the, there was another announcement of a squad yesterday. It was the British and Irish Lions. Now, I'd rather touch on this sort of closer to the time. I mean, we can chat to Derek about it briefly today. But... Essentially, Warren Gatlin, who was, well, you know, he coached the Lions last time, went into Australia. He was successful with that. And he had a pretty good run with Wales. He's now the coach of the Lions again. And he's chosen Sam Warburton as his captain, which many believe is a bold call. 
mostly because, well, very injury prone. Um, secondly, people don't believe that you might be the merit choice, but it's such a difficult position that, you know, if you're going to be an open side flanker in a really top team, you've got to be the best of the best. And, uh, Warburton's been given that role. So good for him. And, uh, for the British and Irish Lions sake, hopefully he's, he can stay fit because, you know, even as a neutral, no matter who, who you support in this whole fight, as a neutral, you want the British and Irish Lions to be as strong as humanly possible. And uh, we all know the All Blacks are the greatest. They have been for quite some amount of time now. So this could be the test series of, well, as, as good as it can be right now. It definitely is the biggest rugby event of the year. So that will take place from uh, June. They go there. They play a whole bunch of matches. Now, the cool thing about the whole British and Irish Lions tour, of course, is the fact that it's a traditional old tour. So you go there, you play against sort of lesser teams, you play midweek matches, you go to the arse end of the countries you're in, and you play against a whole bunch of guys who generally always drink afterwards. You know, so it's a lot more amateurish in that response. But um, nowadays, you know, it's difficult to find any sort of amateurish levels in rugby. So they play one, two, three, four, five, six matches before before they get to that first uh, test, which will be in Auckland, and that will be June the 24th. The second test will take place in Wellington on July the 1st, and then the third and final test back in Auckland, uh, July 8th. That's um, yeah, that's the whole British and Irish Lions tour. The squad is made up of 16 English players, 12 Welsh, 11 Irish, and two Scottish people. So that is that. Uh, on to the football. So last night, Champions League. Um, no major surprises. I, I really didn't feel that um, Barcelona were going to get it against or come back against Juventus. Juventus are just far too composed and strong for that, and they showed it. They managed a zero-zero draw at uh, the Bernabeu, and um, that means that Juventus go through to the semi-final of the Champions League with a three-one, sorry, three-zero deficit. Monaco joined them. Uh, Dortmund obviously shaken by the terror attacks prior to the first leg. They just weren't the same team we, we've known from them. Uh, they end up losing that tie 6-3 in total, uh, 3-0, sorry, 3-1 losers last night. So they'll be joining Atletico, who brushed past Leicester, and Real Madrid, who beat Bayern Munich. And, um, you know, another sort of sub-dynamic in this whole Champions League thing right now is that people have always been debating who's the better player, Ronaldo or Messi. Well, Ronaldo has just been, in the last sort of 18 months, it's very difficult for Messi to kind of stake a claim anymore. Um, I'm not saying it was coincided with his tax woes, but ever since those things happened, Ronaldo's just gone to another level. First guy to 100 Champions League goals for his European uh, European uh, clubs. Of course, yeah, some of those goals were for Manchester United and uh, a big chunk of them, of course, for Real Madrid. So first to 100. Messi, I think he's on 94. Um, so Barcelona really needed him to score six goals last night. And uh, yeah, they didn't. Uh, so <laughs> those are your semi-final teams. In the English Premier League, well, Chelsea lost last weekend, right? So the first time they've lost in quite some time. Everyone thought it was a foregone conclusion and the fact that they suddenly showed a weakness. Everyone's jumping on the fact that this is now a two-horse race because Spurs have been going from strength to strength. But before we get too carried away, good teams don't suddenly become shite teams because of one loss. Chelsea, I know the gap's down to four, okay? So they're both, Chelsea and Spurs play the same amount of matches. Uh, Chelsea on 75, Spurs on 71. There are six games left, right? So when you think of it, like, well, if Chelsea lose here and Spurs keep winning, anything can happen. Uh, to a degree, mathematically, yes. But there's a really great article on leftbacks.co.za. Uh, we've had those guys on the show for quite a few times. Uh, if you want to get some perspective on what's really happening with a so-called two-horse race, well, let me put it to you this way. They've got six games left, okay? This is what Chelsea's got. They've got Southampton at home, Everton away. Everton away is their toughest match. Then they've got Middlesbrough at home, West Brom away, Watford at home, Sunderland at home. You tell me where they're going to lose twice there. 
doubtful, right? Now, Tottenham also, not the hardest run, but they've definitely got some some bigger teams. They play Crystal Palace away, Arsenal at home. That game is always going to be a massive grudge match. West Ham away, Man United at home, Leicester away, Hull away. Now, again, you tell me, hypothetically speaking, they're going to get uh, a full store of three points. So that's what, 18 points there? Highly, highly doubted. So, yes, it can be a two-horse race, but I'm still seeing Chelsea very much the inside track here, very much the pound seats to win this. But we can always hope as a neutral, as again, always hope something interesting might happen here. In locally in South Africa, in the PSL, well, kind of a four-horse race. Now, I'm not saying it because I'm stretching as well, is that, well... Cape Town City have had a fantastic first season out. You know, this the old um, Black Aces team from Pumalanga. They moved to Cape Town. They have gelled straight away. Uh, they've already got silverware. And uh, they've beaten Sundowns in the league, and they're still on top here. They drew 1-1 with Vitz last night, which is a bit of a setback for them because although they do lead the log by 1.46 points, Vitz has got two games in hand and only one point back. Uh, Kaiser Chiefs are also on the same points as Vitz, but they've played uh, 24 matches, same as uh, Cape Town City. And then Sundowns, also with two point two games in hand, they're on 44. So there's your four-horse race to the PSL as you go into the final straight. The bookies are basically favoring Vitz for this one. Hard to kind of go against that. Sundowns, we all know they've got commitments elsewhere. Uh, they're a fantastic side. They are the continental champions, without doubt, the best team in Africa. But they've kind of, you know, they've been up and down in the league ever since then. They've had all those games to kind of recoup. I know they beat Supersport United 5-0. They beat them again 1-0 last night. And that is encouraging, but fits as well. It'll take a lot of beating to get these guys um, to eclipse them. So there's a good reason why the bookies are backing them. Um, yeah, another massive story this week, of course, is the whole Philip Potch thing, right? Now, I just saw a really interesting tweet from Usain Bolt saying, good luck to Wade um, for Niekirk this week running in the South African National Champs. I'll be watching you. Um, Usain, I'm not sure how you were watching him because SABC, the corrupt, absolute useless piece of shit national broadcaster, will not be uh, broadcasting this live. We have got... I'm going to say this without doubt, actually. There is the most exciting time in South African athletics, right? We've got people who have proven track records like Wade Fonico, like Carlos Semenya, uh, people who have gone out there like Akani Sambina and really impressed on the world stage, done well at the Olympics. They've got the medals to show for it. And there is no live broadcast of the South African National Championships. Now, we all know that the whole um, ASA debacle about basically the head of the ASA, Alex Africa, came out and said, look, the South African National Championships aren't a big deal. It's a lesser event. Our guys should be focusing on things overseas. And there was a whole debacle around that. I mean, how, how can you, as a head of an organization, say something so completely, completely stupid like that? These guys are all so excited about it. And now it's been trending on Twitter, the hashtag Philip Potch, because all of these guys and ladies all want to be competing against the best in their own country because it's something, it means something to them to be a South African champion still. And that is something we should be really, really getting behind. So all the big stars are all going to be there competing each other. And for some of these guys, like the men's hundred, right? Now just look at this. Every name I'm about to read to you now is a sub 10 second 100 meter runner, right? Now that is amazing. Akani Simbine, he's obviously the SA national record holder. He is a hot favorite to go into this. He made it into the finals in Rio. He finished fifth in 100 meters, obviously a race that won, was won by, um, Usain Bolt. Wade Finneykirk is kind of, well, he's dropping down to the shorter events. So he'll be running the 100 and the 200 here at the SA champs. Uh, we all know at the world champs, he'll be defending his 400 meter title. Of course, he's the world record, record holder in the discipline. But for this one, he's getting into the, like, 
like the marquee event, the big 100 meters. That'll be taking place this Friday, right? So Kani Sambina, Wade Fenikuk, Anasa Jobadwana, he is the world 200 meter bronze medalist in the 200 meters. Also, and a fantastic young talent. He has trained with Usain Bolt. And this guy, so much potential. Bit of an injury ravage year last year, which kind of held him back. Then we've got Gift Leotlela. He is the junior world, sorry, the junior 100 meter essay record holder. And this guy's got some real spirits. I mean, he, he beats, um, Wade Finneycook in a race recently. Uh, whether Wade does his best or not, it's not important. The fact is he crossed the line in front of him in 100 meters. And this guy is going at all guns blazing. We got Henrico Branches, who is the current essay champion. And, uh, he'll looking to defend his title. And then Tando Roto is also a sub 10 runner. All sub-10 runners, eh? how amazing for one country to be able to have this. And again, I go back to the point that the SABC, this failed, horrible organization, they need to be broadcasting these guys, showing what they do. They are having delayed broadcasts where you can catch highlights, but yeah, come on, it's... (laughs) you got to be better than that. In the women's, uh, Lisa Connolly, she is the women's 100 and 200-meter SA champ. She'll be defending both those titles. Uh, Casa Semenya will be running the 400 and the 800 meters. She is, of course, the 1,500 uh, champion, uh, 1,500 gold medalist. Uh, she actually won, well, you know, there was that whole drug thing with that Eastern European woman. So she won the 1,500 at both uh, Rio and London. So she's a gold medalist there. And then she'll be competing in the 400 and the 800. I mean, very excited to see how she goes in the 400 in particular. Be interesting to see if this is how her career does evolve and she goes into the faster formats. Then we've got Snit Yun. She'll pretty much go uncontested in the javelin. I mean, she really is head and shoulders above the rest. Luvo uh, Manyonga, he'll be run, uh, competing in the long jump. A very, very strong field for long jump there. Of course, he's an Olympic silver medalist. And just another one of the highlights. I mean, there's so many events. There's so much great talent in the Philip Potch SA National Champs. The 400-meter hurdles. Now, we've always had some pretty good runners in this. South Africa do have uh, some Commonwealth Games champions. We've got Olympic medalists in this. For this race, we've got LJ Fonsale, who's the current national record holder. So he'll be the hot favorite there. Then Cornell Fredericks, Commonwealth Games champion. And then LaRue Haman and Lindsay Hanukom both went to the Olympics for the 400-meter hurdles. So it really is an exciting time. If you are in Pochestrom, as I've been saying for weeks now, if you are in Pochestrom, please get along to that. It's going to be a great event. There's not much else to do in Pochestrom, let's be frank. You're either going to get motherlessly drunk, you're there studying, uh, or you're watching the athletics this, this weekend. So Friday, Saturday, get in there. Friday will be the big men's 100 meters, which is everyone will be watching, including Usain Bolt, where he can. Wow, that's going to be exciting. Can Wade Finneycook make the big transition and be uh, successful in that discipline? Or is Akani Sambina, who is the current record holder for South Africa, going to be, well, come on, tops. My money's on Akani Sambina. The guy is incredible, and he's already just had some blistering times this season, so all behind him. Last week we played this, um, some clips about Alan Jones. Now, Alan Jones is this crusty old Australian guy. And, uh, had some requests to find more of him. You know, does he do any more interviews? Well, there is actually quite a lot of Alan out there on the internet. Turns out this guy was actually a really, really strong, um, in the eighties. He coached the Aussie national team. Didn't just coach them, but he had a bloody good record with them. But I found some really great clips. And I say to you, before we get to Derek here, if you can got some spare time, go onto the internet and type in Alan Jones radio and you'll be able to find gems like this. Starting, and I worry about fucking stopping it. I know how to start it. Here we keep it on zero, thanks. It's all right. I got this one over here. Fucking useless bloody thing. Jesus, we got to start again. Shit. (laughs) 
God, Jesus. No, 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 let's go, let's do it. I'm in a bad mood this morning. I'm just sick of the whole show. Fucking thing, how does it get to zero stay there? Can we get someone in here? Get someone in there, quickly. All sitting around on their bloody bums. But zero the fucking thing, will you? Oh, fucking dead. This guy, Alan Jones is my name. Christ. This guy, what am I, some sort of person from outer space? Jesus, what's wrong with me? There is so much of this dude, okay? So he's got a a morning radio show in uh, Sydney, and uh, wow. (laughs) He's one of those guys that either love him or hates him. But uh, yeah, so back in the 80s, right, he was the Aussie national coach for the rugby team. I've got a really cool clip here about what he thinks about Star Wars. Uh, Sorry, Indiana Jones. Again, this, none of this is made up. This is actually Alan Jones himself talking. Good night's sleep. You're having a fuck on a rolling bed. Oopsie, sorry, wrong one. I've just got so many Alan Jones clips here. There we go. Jones on two UV. The movie Batman well, broke all box office records on this day in 1989. Yeah. <laughs> okay, hang on. Ah, oh, really cocking this up. Okay, yeah, Alan Jones. And then we've got Derek Alberts on the other side of this. Alan Jones on 2UE. The movie Batman broke all box office records on this day in 1989. It had only been on the Australian screens for six days. It beat records previously held by Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Doom? Fuck, how did it rate? Bloody shit. Indiana fucking Jones. The reason I lost the second, we lost the fucking second test against the All Blacks because that movie frightened the shit out of my team the night before we played. The lead 12-0 and fell apart at the seams. Fucking Hawker, who was terrified by the snakes, had the worst test I've ever had because he'd been awake all night, devoured by Indiana Jones's temple snakes. Bastards. Find out why so many people... Hey, Derek, how's it going? Hey, good and you, Benjamin. Fantastic. Ever heard of Alan Jones? I haven't. That was quite a nice education over the last five minutes. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so Alan Jones was, uh, he coached the Aussies after Bob Dwyer in the 80s. But the guy was actually shit hot. He had such an amazing record that um, I, I can't believe I just didn't, I didn't even pick this up in my whole rugby appreciation all these yeah. years. I, I've actually heard of him. I just hadn't heard him. Uh, so now I can uh, the two together and uh, I can appreciate them a whole lot more. Okay, unfortunately the phone line isn't fantastic. Um, sorry, Derek, we just got back into our new studio so we've been refurbishing our main studio here at Cliff Central. We've been tucked away in the secondary one for quite some time and uh, today we might have some teething problems. But yeah, Alan Jones, 80, 86 victories from 102 test matches. <laughs> that, that is very impressive, especially from a Australian point of view. How can you how can you galvanize Aussies to be that good over a four year period? It's absolutely amazing. So Derek, <laughs> we need to talk um Super Rugby in the show the last few weeks. I've had some fantastic golf guests, but uh we've kind of lost sight of the rugby. Super rugby so far, we going into round uh nine. How's the season been for you so far is from a sporting broadcast perspective and that of a fan? Yeah, I've certainly enjoyed it, you know, because I, I think it's got a lot of bad press over the last year or two and uh and I think it's been warranted, given the fact that it has been diluted somewhat with the amount of teams being added. Of course, it's uh, going to be whittled down once more again, not too long uh, from now. But uh, I think we've been pleasantly surprised by, by some of the performances. I mean, last weekend's match between the Lions and the Stormers was something to behold. And the weekend prior to that, the Stormers' clash against the Chiefs was uh, something special. I mean, uh, we saw two of the greatest tries that we've seen in the tournament. So... You know, I still you get a few one-sided affairs, and, and a lot of matches are proving 
proving to be pretty predictable. But um, uh, despite that, it does deliver gold moments every now and then, like we've seen over the last few weeks. I definitely found that a case. So from playing Superbrew this year and getting quite into that, normally I think, oh, I've got to make eight picks here. I mean, I'm, I'm rolling the dice in a couple. Whereas nowadays you feel like there's definitely stronger and weaker teams, definitely getting more right. So much so that when you get like a grand slam point with Superbrew, I mean, you don't necessarily move up the pools. So some things are predictable, but I totally agree with you. There's been some absolute gems, there's been some absolute big games. Have any teams really surprised you so far? Well, just regarding the Superbrew thing, uh, uh, it's actually quite funny because I'm involved with that Legends pool that was started by the founder of Superbrew, Andy Woods. So there's, there's a couple of us uh, on there, the likes of Robbie Kempson, A.B. Divinis, uh, foreign players as well, Andrew Mertens, um, and Nathan Shaw. And it's it, it, exactly like you said. I mean, I went three weeks where I got a grand slam point. And I mean, that was unheard of last year or any time. Yeah. I was three times on the truck. But I was always putting it around third or fourth. And um, last weekend, I probably had my worst round in about three or four, and I actually went to top of the pool, which I was obviously very happy about, but, uh, but it didn't really make sense. But again, it was very predictable, and, and pretty much everyone is, is predicting what's happening. But um, I think from a, a performance point of view with regards to the slides, uh, you know what? Obviously, being in Eastern Cape, I've paid a lot of attention to the Kings. So I've enjoyed the way they play. Um, you know, they're going down. They just don't have the the depth in the squad. But, I mean, they play entertaining rugby. We saw them lose last weekend, but it was a very entertaining match against the Reds. I mean, the defence is uh, a lot to be desired, but uh, on attack, they're, they're fantastic. And, and, and again, I, I think the Stormers, um, apart from last week's performance uh, against the Lions, I mean, they've really surprised a lot of players, or a lot of people. Um, I was never a massive fan of theirs. So I thought that the, the support that they've garnered throughout the years, it's almost... I haven't really known why, given the fact that they haven't actually achieved anything in terms of trophies. Yet, this time around, I mean, they're not just winning, but they're playing entertaining rugby to win, um, apart from last weekend's uh, blip. And, and, and then again, the Lions, I mean, they, they go without saying. From a disappointment point of view, the Bulls have been an absolute shambles. And uh, I think the, the sooner they sort out their problems over there, then, then the better. Sure, so many different ways to go off from there. Um, just just touching on the Bulls, what do you think their obvious problems are? Because I, I can't ask a Bulls fan because they're just they're a little bit too angry right now to compose a decent <laughs> sentence. Um, you know, from your perspective, and I know you're involved in the commentary as well, so you see things really like up close and personal. But like, what's really wrong here? I mean, these are the guys who have been taking the best young talent from around the country for the last few years. What's happening? Yeah, I mean. If, if I knew, I, I wouldn't be in broadcasting. I, I'd be over at the Bulls right now. But <laughs> it, it's hard to say. I mean, if you speak to most Bulls fans, they, they, they point the finger straight at their coach, non career. And, I mean, it's a very good argument. I, I mean, they have gone from bad to worse over the last couple of years, and particularly while he's been around. Um, they don't look like a happy side. And, and as you mentioned, they've been bringing a lot of young players through. But, but a major problem is that they're using a lot of senior players. So, I mean, you could probably use that argument for most of the teams anyway. But, I mean, they're losing massive names. And, and I, I see that the story just came out now where um, Jan Serpentin is the latest to, it looks to be leaving their shores. So he turned down a very big contract, apparently, a contract extension from both the Bulls and the Springboks, which was going to be a... Uh, uh, a combined contract, if I'm not mistaken, to try and keep him over at Loftus, but uh, he wants up. So, and I mean, he's a blue-eyed boy uh, right from the get-go. I mean, uh, 
So obviously he went to school at Great Lum, but then he made the move over to Pretoria. So, you know, if he went up, then, then you can say that, that something is definitely a miss. Uh, it, it, it seems an obvious thing to say, but it probably is the most logical one too, in that you would have to start with the coach, and, and, and maybe that is above it. Um, some of the decisions they've made uh, up top uh, it beggars belief. And, and, yeah, I mean, certainly you've got the players, but the players just aren't doing the goods, and um, yeah, whether the coaches are telling them what to do, if they're doing the right way, doing the right way about it, uh, I think that remains to be seen. Yeah, I guess if you were to contrast them with uh, with the Stormers, and I know disrespect to rugby players, but a lot of these guys need to be told what to do in their lives, right? So that's just the upbringing they've had. <laughs> from, from school to club to provincial, whatever, you know, there's someone telling them what to do every single day of their lives. You've got a Bulls team where, you know, they used to they used to be known for their seniority. They had such great, amazing players. Everyone pulling them together. Look at the Stormers, though. I mean, they haven't exactly got a, an abundance of senior players, but they've got Robbie Fleck, and um, maybe he's instilled something along the lines of some sort of authority figure, which has actually kind of taken these youngsters and galvanized. I mean, would you say it's a fair point? Yeah, certainly so. And, and you know, the nice thing with Robbie is the fact that he enjoys seeking advice. And, I mean, he was thrust into this position last year with Eddie Jones jumping ship after seven days. Yeah. And he, it, it really took him by surprise. I mean, granted, he had been involved at the Curry Cup level, but, I mean, he wasn't even main coach there because John Dobson was coach at that Western Province. So, uh, really, it was out of the blue he was put into this position. And he really did need to seek advice. And, and I do know that he has been in contact quite a few times with Eddie Jones, and they chat quite often. And, and he does take pearls of wisdom any which way he can. And I think that does help. Um, well, it certainly does. I think there's no question. And whether Norris Murray is doing that, I don't know. But I do think that within the bull setup, I don't think they're looking for help from beyond those structures. But that being said, I, I have heard, I think within the last week or so, that uh, they have appointed uh, Grant Henry as a consultant. So they are starting to look beyond mm. that, and, and it could only be better uh, for the franchise. But uh, without a doubt, I mean, Robbie, Robbie Fleck, he, he, the fact that he also played with the guys not too long ago, I mean, remember, I mean, he was a springbok just over a decade ago, and he's still learning his, his trade, and there's no doubt about it that he, he has been giving the guys a lot more leverage in terms of being able to manage themselves. Uh, very much like Gary Kirsten when he took reins over at India. I remember when he was given the job, he had no coaching experience prior to that. And when he came in, um, he had just taken over from Greg Chappell. And Greg Chappell had had a massive fallout with the Indian side, uh, particularly with the seniority guys. Um, yeah. Look at the likes of Sachin Tendulkar, etc. And when Gary Kirsten came in, his first thing, he said, well, there's nothing I can teach Sachin Tendulkar about batting. In fact, he can teach everything to me. But what I can do is just guide him along the way. It's definitely advice outside of the cricket pitch. And, and that's that's what he did. Um, I mean, he was more an ear to listen to and, uh, and an arm to lean on as opposed to a guy who was giving out audits. And, and I think Robbie Fleck has, has managed to merge that quite well as a coach and a very new coach at that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he can still hold his way to at the bar afterwards with the players, you know, which is also it's an important thing. But now, just to take it further with the Stormers, they've been, they've been impressive. That win against the Chiefs, obviously, are big highlights of that. And there's definitely something on the go here. But now, the Tour of New Zealand, um, starting off with the Crusaders, I can't see them winning this this weekend. Um, I mean, what, what do you reckon would be like realistic expectations of this young side going to New Zealand for the first time as a unit? Well, it's the litmus test, isn't it? Uh, 
everyone kept on saying, well, the storms are going to fail, they're going to fail, they're going to fail, week in and week out. I mean, they started off with a, a third easy run of matches, and then when they got to the Chiefs, I was one of them who said, well, they haven't really been tested, so this is going to be when they fall apart. And of course, it didn't happen. They only lost on the last weekend against the Lions. So, I mean, the Lions, proving that they're a very good side, so take nothing away from the storm. Uh, they just weren't at the races uh, on Saturday. Yeah, um, and the Lions are very, very good. So the Storm is, from what we've seen, granted most of their matches have been at home, are, are very good. I, I can't see them beating the Crusaders, but I mean, I, I said that again when they when they faced the Chiefs as well. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to be a runaway victory for the New Zealanders. I just under 10 points. Um, uh, Stormers could even get within a, a converted try. Again, if I had to put my half in it, I, I would put the Crusaders down, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Stormers come away with the victory. They... It, traditionally, they've been aside from South Africa that have toured very, very well. I remember a victory that they had over the Blues in Auckland about 13 or 14 years ago, which is probably right up with the, up there with like five of the best essay performances I've ever seen in the history of the tournament. So they do travel well, so they've got that um, to, to fall back on. Um, and, yeah, they they look like a, a side that's, that's high and confident um, despite the loss to the line. But, um I would go the way of the Crusaders, but if the Stormers come away with the winner, I won't be surprised at all. Well, you say lit- litmus test, but there's litmus test and there's litmus test. So they got Crusaders, then they got the Highlanders, then they got the Hurricanes. I mean, that's pretty much, pretty much as tough as it comes. But, you know, the, the guys were saying pre-season, like, you know, they, they, they're enjoying the fact they're going to be tested against New Zealand. Uh, they, they're going to play all these tough teams. So they're not going to take 60 points in the quarterfinals. Um, do you see now with the Lions, now they haven't got the New Zealand teams that this might have any sort of negative impact once, once they get to the, uh, the quarterfinals? Or do you reckon that they're just, they're a little more hard and they're not going to be faced by something like that? Oh, well, it could very well be the case. But again, I mean, rugby is rugby. So you can only play who you're up against. So, I mean, if they're going to beat these, the, the battle Aussie sides by 20 points, then I'd say definitely, but they're not. Um, they're beating sides and they're beating and convincing. So, so so that does help. But but again, you do want to be severely tested as you, you get towards the business end of the competition. So it could come back to hurt them. But uh, as you mentioned, the experience will play a big role. Um, last year they were very good and of course only faced uh, New Zealand opposition as opposed to Australia. Um, and I mean that will still ring fresh in their minds. But the one thing uh, I just, if Jan Ackerman ever chooses a B-side to go over and play at a signing Super Rugby match where number one on the log is on the line in a possible home final then I will stop supporting him for a bit more. Uh, but I, I don't think he'll do that because well, firstly, because it backfired horribly for him, and, and also he, he he wants to probably leave with a bang, and of course he he's leaving our shores off this tournament, so I can't see that happening again. Yeah, maybe this is a conversation for another stage about, you know, him leaving. I, I still believe it's a good thing for career and greater good of SA Rugby, but we haven't got quite enough time to delve into that. Just um, touching on, on the Sharks, as far as, you know, they've also had a pretty decent start. Um, is this a team that you think has the legs to go full on into the season? Because, I mean, there's a lot of young, there's a lot being sort of heaped upon the Dupree brothers, uh, Cohen Bosch. Um, you know, there's, there's some really young players here. There's a lot being expected of them. Do they have the seniority of depth or just the composure to go further in this tournament? Yeah, they, they really surprised me because they started off with that loss to the Reds. And I mean, we've seen in the tournament the Reds have been pretty abysmal. Um, and and from there on, I thought, oh, geez, you know, it's all going to cut its hair. And that second match, they were up against the Brumbies. And the Brumbies opened up a quick-fire lead, and the Sharks managed to hit back. And then they only scored that, that, that match-running try 
after the hooter um, uh, with that nice little dead kick from Kieran Bosch. And that pretty much uh, gave them momentum to their season. And they had looked very, very good. Um, they went down to the Lions, also a, a very, very tight finish that. And, and again, that proved that, that they certainly can mix it up with the big boys. Uh, whether they've got depth remains to be seen, it's still early in the season. I mean, they were rocked by, by the loss of Pat Lambie. Right at the beginning, but then again, Koo and Bosch coming in. But one thing I, I don't quite understand Robert Secreta's thinking is you've got Koo and Bosch there, and everyone's touting him as, as a future Springbok number 10, um, if not fullback. But I think number 10 is his preferred position. And I, I've seen the guy play for the last three or four years. So I was at Craven Week in Stellenbosch, where he blew away the competition almost single handedly, and it was all from pivot. And I don't understand how he can come and play at Slaha as such an incredible match. I forget against who it was. It was about three weeks ago. And then he moved to fullback in the following match and then come back to Slaha. I mean, just keep the guy at Slaha for Pat Lambie's not there. In fact, uh, I would probably, were Lambie to make a return, or when he does, I'd probably start Lambie at fullback and keep Bosch at Slaha. I mean, this guy is certainly the future and he is an incredible talent, but a lot to work on. But, um, he, he is he, he, it's a pretty much a microcosm of the shark side as a whole because it's very young and they are very scratchy in certain areas, but in others they're extremely talented. So I don't see them going all the way at all. Um, I think semi-finals will be a massive push for them, but definitely a playoff spot is, is in the offing for them. Yeah, it's a very good point, especially when the flower backup is pretty green past the already kind of green at this level, Kerwin Bosch. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I always believe that these coaches are the, the much closer to the action than we can ever be. So maybe they'll see something we don't. And just finally, Derek, um, fortunately we're all running out of time. The, the, who's getting the chop? I mean, is it, you reckon it's a foregone conclusion? It's definitely the cheaters and the kings? Yeah, it has to be. Uh, I mean, aside from, Mixing up unions and franchises, which I can't see happening, um, it's got to be those two. A, a lot of people argue, well, what about the rules, the fact that they're performing so poorly, and what are the cheaters that the finish about them on the log, etc. And I get that, but I mean, you have to take past performances into account and also spectator value. And the rules granted at the moment are pretty much attracting one guy and his dog. Yeah. But I mean, traditionally, they've had a, a fairly full house, uh, particularly when they perform well. And they've got three Super Rugby trophies under their belt. So it would be very hard-pressed to make an argument to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, the Kings, it looks as if they're dead and buried. And the Cheetahs, unless they can fight tooth and nail, I reckon they're going to be given the door as well. Yeah, I think that was most telling when Lionel Crenier was talking about one of his players <laughs> after the match against the Reds when he said, yeah, he's such a talented player. I just really hope he can find a team next year for Super Rugby. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very, very funny that he certainly meant to get up the back. All right, Derek. Well, thanks so much for your time. For, must follow Derek at Derek Alberts One. Derek, I gotta say your Twitter feed is 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 exceptional. You're throwing a lot more golf stuff out there nowadays. Does that mean you're finally going to start playing? <laughs> um, I, I try to dabble, but I, I'm rubbish. But I, I have to keep uh, watching it. But just one thing. I know. I know we ran out of time. But uh, from a rugby perspective, the British and Irish lines. Um, that to me has been the highlight so far. The last couple of days with the spot announcement being being made yesterday, and CJ Thunder being named in that side. What a player! And this to me is going to be the sporting highlight of uh, 2017. The series over in New Zealand. I reckon the All Blacks will take it, but it will be a lot tighter than people expect. And uh, I'll probably go for two-one series between Fables and Hampshire.
Yeah, well, I'd love to get you in the studio where we can actually have a proper uh, chat where we're not hindered by the telephone line. But uh, maybe we'll have a chat sometime late next month about that because, well, let's be honest, it doesn't get bigger than the British and Irish Lions tours. Like, you know, we, we've been lucky enough to see one here in South Africa, which was massive with the, the, the box one. Um, it, it is the biggest thing in rugby. So it'd be great if we can chat about that next month sometime. Oh, geez, I'd love to. And I mean, as you mentioned, it is huge because theoretically, I know it happens every four years, but I mean, for a country, it happens every 12 years. Yeah. Uh, so it is so, so rare. And, uh, yeah, and, and for those, the folk who've never watched it, I, I highly, highly recommend going to catch up on the uh, British and Irish Lions documentaries that they make after each tour. Uh, they are riveting viewing, and, and particularly the, the 1997 one where they came to South Africa, it's called Living with Lions. Um, and it, it's actually won numerous awards for best sporting documentaries, etc. But it gives you tremendous insight in, in what has become an institution of rugby. Oh, it's so true. I mean, you could dig back even to the 1970s when they came to South Africa and what a story that was, I mean, the, the Invincible Lions team. All right, Derek, well, we can chat for hours, but unfortunately we can't this time around. Thanks so much for joining me this week, and a uh, happy weekend of rugby. Absolute pleasure. Cheers, Benjamin. Keep well. Cheers, Eric. You too. Um, again, apologies for the the line. It's not as clear. I didn't do Derek justice, but there's no way I was going to cut him off. That guy's got amazing insights. And uh, yeah, TV and radio pro and uh, behind the commentary mic as well. So that's Derek. We'll try to get him back in studio next time so you can get more of his beautiful voice. So just to wrap up the show from here, uh, big Super Rapey weekend. Just have a look at this before you make your Super Rapey picks for the weekend. Rugby Super Rapey round nine. First game up is going to be Friday. Hurricanes versus the Brumbies, 9.35. Got to think Hurricanes going to be way too strong for the Brumbies who faltered last week. No one really saw that, but lost the Rebels. Hurricanes by 17. That's my pick there. Waratahs versus the Kings. Uh, Kings were plucky against the Reds. Well, the Reds aren't very good, let's be honest. Either the Waratahs, but the Waratahs at home uh, are going to guess Waratahs by 14 there. That game will be 11.45 on Friday. These, of course, all South African times. Then the Lions take on the Jaguarath. That'll be 7 o'clock from Ellis Park. Lions to win that one by about 9, I reckon. And then Saturday. Uh, Saturday starts off with the Highlanders hammering the Sunwolves at quarter past 7. Look for the Highlanders, 35 points plus there. Easy. I mean, the Crusaders beat them 50 points of 3 last week. Sunwolves in for another dicking there. Then Crusaders versus the Stormers. Stormers' first game on tour at 9.35 Saturday morning. Crusaders... Oh, going to go with by nine it hurts me to say that but this crusaders team is pretty good i know they haven't lost yet and they're entitled to a slip up but this is a big ask for this young stormers team and this crusaders team is just so solid i know they haven't got the names they used to have but karen reed is back and this team is looking great then 145 sa time force versus the chiefs the chiefs are coming back from a pretty tough little schedule in sa where they were beaten by the Stormers, but then ran away with it against the che- uh, the Cheetahs. But going back to Perth en route home to New Zealand has never been an easy thing for these teams. So even though the Chiefs are a far superior team to the force, going to go with them to win by about six or seven there. Nothing too ambitious. Then Bulls versus the Cheetahs at quarter past five here in South Africa. Going to think Bulls are going to win this. They had a pretty good win against the Jaguars last week. Cheetahs, well, they're back to their old self. Huh? Just leaky defense and throwing away pretty good leads. Going to be a tough game. Probably not very entertaining. Bulls by six. Then final game of the weekend, we've got the Sharks at home versus the Rebels. Rebels on tour down here in SA. Going to be 7.30 in Durban. That game, I reckon, well, Sharks are going to win that one by about 13. For more of these picks and more of a preview of the weekend's rugby, go on to thebounce.co.za. 
It's the same place, of course, you can find the full podcast of the show and uh, all the shows that we do or I do um, here on Cliff Central, all duplicated there or go on to cliffcentral.com and find the Bounce Show page where you can get all the rest of the shows and archives. And uh, if you are looking for some more sport reading and just general um, reading, if you go into the bounce.co.za, there's a great little documentary about the talent that was John Daly. Uh, it's a piece that uh, I put out yesterday. Very, very interesting story, this John Daly guy. Huh? I mean, we all know his trials and tribulations off the golf course with the gambling and the smoking and the drinking and all that kind of stuff and the different marriages. But this guy was one of the most extreme talents in sport that we've ever seen in the last few decades. And when he came onto the scene in 1991 USPG, I think it was, uh, he came in as a late alternate for Nick Price. He withdrew and he literally arrived in his motor home 2 a.m. Thursday morning. He teed it up few hours later and he led that thing and he won it great story there i've also got a great story about how to shave your balls um yep it's there you know i always try to keep it nice and diverse for you and uh yeah there's some other great stuff there mostly around golf as well big time for golf uh it is the texas Spa open i think it is in the uspga tour otherwise in the, on the european tour there's a massive event in shenzhen china so get on to the bounce of today follow me at follow the bounce on twitter and, uh, yeah, I guess I'll catch you back next week with more. And if you have any other sort of guest suggestions, you know, I'm always open to them. Just mail me at, uh, ben at the I'm always open for suggestions. And of course, just giving you guys more of what you want. Anyway, that's it for the week. Thank you for joining me. And I'll catch you back next week. Same time, Thursday live, 10 a.m. here on cliffcentral.com. Otherwise, catch the podcast either on cliffcentral.com, iTunes podcast. You can subscribe there. Or just go on to the bounce house here, does it? See you then. Cliffcentral.com.